Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today I have a writer from the Silver 7 Sens, as well as the host of the Internal Budget podcast, Brandon Mackey, joining me. Uh, we discuss a whole bunch of things related to the Sens, including the World Juniors, their prospects, um, what we think of their drafting theory, and uh, yeah, we get into a whole bunch of stuff like that. It's a really fun talk. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, as always, thank you so much for the support. Um, if you guys are liking it, you know, leave leave a like on Twitter, give a retweet. It, it helps so much uh, just spreading the word. Um, thank you so much for listening, though, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. Joining me now, he is the host of the Internal Budget Podcast, as well as a staff writer for Silver 7 Sens, uh, Brandon Mackey. How's it going? Doing well, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, so today we are going to look at uh, just a bunch of stuff that is happening. Hockey started again for the first time in a long time, and there's a couple Sens prospects that have been playing in the college season. Um, they're down in a bubble right now, most of the college teams, I believe. So we'll get your take on that. And then the World Juniors are approaching as well. So I figured what what uh, better time to discuss those than right now. So let's just get it with the college season and the uh, North Dakota Senators, as uh, the t- Twitter is uh, taking the call in them. Um, four prospects, obviously, playing for them. Pinto, um, Sanderson, uh, Clevin, and uh, Bernard ABD. Docker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I said in the last episode that I'm not a huge, I don't watch much college hockey, but you do. And I figured this would be a perfect time or you have this year anyways. I figured yeah. it'd be the perfect time to get you on and um, just talk about what you've seen so far. And we can discuss, you know, different prospects and the, the reactions or overreactions of some. I mean, obviously it's been a great start for Sens prospects. I mean, just about all four of them have looked from anywhere from good to really, really, really good or surprising. Um, who has been your favorite prospect to watch so far? It's hard to pick just one. Uh, the four guys, they have such different skill sets and they bring so many different things to the table. And all of them have showed out uh, at so far. We're only uh, four games into the season now or into the, into the pod anyway. And so far they've all looked great. I, I think in terms of pure entertainment value, Shane Pinto is probably the guy I'd have to go with as one of the one that's been the most fun to watch. He's been dynamite on the faceoff dot. He's, Uh, creating offensively, making some really nice passes, uh, getting some good scoring chances as well. I think from a pure analytical hockey perspective, the guy I would have to go with as the best all-around prospect to watch has been Jacob Bernard Docker. He has played mistake-free hockey in both ends of the ice. He's so solid in his own end. He gets back to break up odd man rushes. The way he plays angles and the way he starts the transition game has been really impressive so far. But again, you know, uh, J- uh, Jake Sanderson had looked great through the, I believe it was three, yeah, three games that he was down there before he headed to the World Juniors. Same can be said of Tyler Clevin. They both scored gorgeous goals. Uh, they both looked really good in their own ends of the ice. You know, some turnovers here and there, but you're going to get that with young players. So can't really can't say enough about all four of them. This is my first time really, you know, taking a dedicated time to watch college hockey, and, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, I mean, the hockey's look great, and I know um, anyone who watches college hockey will tell you every year that it's it, it doesn't get enough credit as it maybe should sometimes. Um, it's always lots of really exciting stuff to watch, and um, for Ottawa fans, you know, this is the first time 
they've got to watch we've got to watch hockey that's been meaningful to the senators in nine months pretty much you know since february mm-hmm. when the league shut down and and so um i made a joke on twitter the other night i was like I, I really need the nhl season to come back just so i don't see nine people live tweeting every play of the uh college <laughs> season i was joking a bit about that um but you know some of it's real too because it's like oh there's a there's a pass and there's just like okay well i mean yeah, it's good with video. Don't get me wrong. Like when it'll latch on anything, right? Like yeah, exactly. Like uh, as someone else who put, like I post gifts during the season. Your your gifts have been very helpful to at least see what the prospects are doing. But there's some other people where I've seen just like, oh, this guy kind of made a hit. I was like, okay, well, I mean, hey, like go for it. You know, like hockey's finally back. I'm not gonna. It's whatever people want to tweet, go for it. I was like, man, I don't know if I need to see six six accounts for this much longer. But um, all jokes aside, I mean, it is good to see all four of the sense prospects succeeding um, because I want to get into a talk about the Tyler Clevin thing. There's been a huge victory lap taken from the people um, around draft time. For anyone who didn't know, the Senators traded up with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They traded two picks traded up, selected Tyler Clevin, who by most uh, accounts was considered a reach. I think the general consensus of almost everyone was that he would have been available at either of the picks they traded, but they liked him, they traded up. So there was a lot of questions around that. He's looked really good to start the year. And I want to pre- uh, just say this right off the bat. I will never not cheer for an Ottawa Senators prospect. I want them all to do good, obviously. But the one thing that I cannot wrap my head around is this huge victory lap that has been taken after three games of a college season about not even the player, but just the, the, the reason people didn't like the pick was because of the process, you know? And like, to me, that hasn't changed. And, you know, it, it wasn't as much about Clevin. Well, I mean, some, for some people it might have been, but like for me, because I don't pretend to scout anyone, for me, it was more about like, you have a guy who's consensus 80 to 90th overall, and you go and trade up almost 20 spots and grab them. It's like, yeah. it's the process for me, not the player. Yeah, as far as the victory lap thing goes, I guess I'll start with how I felt on on draft day when they took him. Uh, I, I didn't mind the pick. I, I'm like you. I'm not someone who dedicates most of my time to to prospects and to analyzing, you know, draft strategies and things like that. But I know a lot of people who do, obviously, especially you know Colin and Ari at Silver Seven, and neither of them were particularly high on the pick. I was of the opinion that I thought it was strange that they traded up to get him. I, I figured that he would have been available with, like you said, either one of their picks that they gave up. But the reality of the situation is we don't know. Uh, you know, there's a chance the Leafs liked him and we're going to take him at that spot. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to come up with a hard line opinion on it without knowing the actual draft strategy of the teams involved. That said. Uh, I did see he had some potential. Um, He's a big physical player. And as far as the victory lap goes, I don't think it's people declaring that Tyler Clevin is going to be an NHL player. There's such a long way to go before you're even having that conversation. But I think there's a large consensus or a large contingent rather of Ottawa Senators fans who are just looking for anything positive to latch onto. It has been such a hard few years for this fan base with losing the likes of Carlson and Stone and Duchesne and all kind, all hope of having a competitive team for the foreseeable future. So for me, and, and when you factor in the fact that they haven't played since March 16th or whatever it is now that, you know, like it's been, like you said, this crazy amount of time without Ottawa Senators hockey. I, I think there's a group of people who just want to be excited and don't take kindly to, 
people telling them they shouldn't be excited. Uh, I, I think it goes to extremes on both ends. I think there are people who are overly positive and I think there are people who are overly negative per, to an unfair extent. Uh, but for me, just watching Clevin play, I've been really, really impressed. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've done my best to really hone in on each one of the Senators' prospects whenever they're on the ice, and, and he's been noticeable in a good way. Uh, he's making good defensive plays. There was a play uh, against uh, – I'm blanking. The, whoever they played in the third game um, – where he got back and he made a really nice defensive play in the neutral zone to break up a two on one. He reached his stick around a player, poked the puck away, didn't take a penalty and, and broke up an odd man rush. So that was really impressive. Uh, he scored a gorgeous goal that same game, obviously. And he's just looked like an all around solid two way defender. Does he have work to do? Yeah. Like Sanderson, he's made some turnovers. He's taken some risks that he maybe shouldn't take, but it's coming. And so it's tough because do I think the fervor around picking him, do I think, you know, the vitriol that the senators were met with was kind of unwarranted right now? I would say, yeah. Um, but I understand that people are passionate about prospect analysis and they put a lot of time and a lot of effort into, into learning about this aspect of the game. And when people kind of throw it back in their face, I can see how it would be annoying. So I've tried to kind of stay neutral on it. I think my tweet the night he was drafted was, I thought it was strange that they traded up to get him, but I, but I would withhold judgment on it. Um, and that's kind of where I've tried to stay. Um, but I have really liked what I've seen from the players so far. I think he's going to be all right. Yeah. And I mean, th- with the thing about excited is, I don't think any, well, I mean, obviously you, again, you have the um, crazy on each side, you know, way too far, but the general consensus of people, even the ones that didn't like Ottawa's draft largely um, aren't saying don't be excited. It's just more that they were disappointed with how they approached it because I mean, it's impossible to say Ottawa came right with a bad draft. It's just, you know, I think a lot of people fairly too thought that maybe they could have done better. And I'm not even talking about, I think the top two picks, whatever. Like I, I really, I mean, obviously Stutzel's a beast. Sanderson, it sounds like more teams were in on Sanderson. I would have liked to see them trade down, but honestly, it just didn't sound like an opportunity. So, you know, you go in the deeper in the draft and like, I, I totally get what you're saying where it's like, for me, I think when it comes to the NHL draft, and again, I'm not a prospects guy by any means, but I think that there's been enough data to show that it is such a, I don't, shit show is kind of the word I want to use. I don't know if it's exactly that, but like, it's so random at times and development is such a huge part of it that it's, it's like, crapshoot. Yeah. yeah, literally. And so it's kind of like with, with that aspect, when you're so confident that you're trading up and part of it is just how many assets they had that I think they felt they could be that confident is part of me would have rather, even if the Leafs also like Clevin, how much more did you like Clevin at 60, like 67 or wherever he was drafted than the 69th prospect on your board. You know what I mean? Because if he was that good, it's like, okay, well then why aren't you taking him a little higher unless you're playing game theory and he's already fallen enough. But again, like that's kind of my, not even just with the pick, but I've noticed Ottawa does that sometimes. It's they hone in on one guy and they really, really like him. And hey, sometimes that works out. You know, that's what happened with Eric Carlson. And that is the one people always point to. But there's also a number of occasions where it's happened where it hasn't really worked out. And, and that's just kind of how it goes. So that would be just my bigger issue with the, like, again, like I hope Clevin from everything, even the prospect uh, people who didn't really like him coming to the draft, were like, yeah, he looks like this was a better stretch of three games than I've seen him play at all last year. So yeah. that is awesome to hear. It's the process that it's like that. I still don't think the process was right, but again, for the pick that's in the rear view mirror. 
Yeah, it, it's so much of a time will tell thing to, uh, like you mentioned, factoring development into it is, is such a big part of drafting, especially as you get into the later rounds. Like, like look at a guy like Mark Stone taken in the sixth round and ends up as right now, he's one of the better forwards in the league. You could make an argument that he's a top five winger. You know, I maybe he is. Top, I think he has to be. Yeah, yeah maybe even top three, right? Yep. Like you, you could go that far. Uh, and the same can be said of a guy like Drake Batherson, you know, taken with a later pick, and now he's blossoming into what looks like a surefire top six forward. So it's one of those things where it's not as simple as how they are on draft day. It's how they're going to be three to five years down the line. Uh, do I think that the Ottawa Senators have earned somewhat of a benefit of the doubt when it comes to draft over the last few years? Yeah, I, I do personally. I, I don't think – I know everybody doesn't have that opinion. I understand why they don't. I just think when you look at their recent track record with guys they've taken, guys like Brady Kachuk, you know, I don't know if anybody had Brady Kachuk over uh, – was it Svechnikov that he was taking over? Um, uh, oh, uh, Zadina, no, sorry. Zadina. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally blanking. But yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody had Kachuk ahead of Zanina in that draft. Uh, same can be said with guys like Shane Pinto, who people were kind of looking at the Senators sideways for doing that. Lassie Thompson. There's there's plenty of examples of the Senators honing in on guys that they like that have worked out well for them that maybe went against the grain. So it's is it is that the right approach? That's something we're not going to be able to decide on three to five years until three to five years down the line when we've seen what this team looks like as it's come to fruition and everybody's developed. So you can argue with the process for sure. I understand the people that you know. There's there's a there's a large group of people who want the senators to just go skill 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 all the way across the board, um, and there's a large contingent of them that would rather the team building approach. Uh, so far, I'm a fan. I, I'm kind of getting a direction of where the Senators want to go with their roster uh, based on their last few drafts. I, I think it's a good direction to go in. I think they've really committed to building from the back end out, which is evident with picks like Bernard Docker and Thompson and Sanderson and Clevin over the last few years. Uh, and I, I think that is conducive to a winning team. But I understand why people are, are looking at it like it's kind of an unconventional approach because really it is. But so far, so good in my eyes. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I definitely go back and forth. I think Ottawa deserves some benefit of the doubt, too. I, again, it, it kind of depends who you're talking to, right? There's some people who are like, you can't question any of their picks. That's not true. That's just, it's not true of any team, you know? And as we said, the draft's a crapshoot. So you're going to get, like, they get picks wrong just as much as other teams do. And even as recently as four, three or four years ago, there was some ugly drafts, you know? But, like, at the same time... Um, yeah, like definitely I think they're in the top half of drafting teams. I think probably top 10 is fair to say. I don't think they're far and away the best drafting team compared to the NHL. But I mean, like no no team is, again. And I when it comes to the skill thing, I, I think I'd still rather see them shoot on skill a lot. I mean, the, the one thing too is they seem to like the overagers and people have a problem with that. But it's kind of worked out in ways for them too. I, I don't know. Like I go back and forth and – I, I think sometimes it worries me a little bit because I'd rather see my philosophy anyways, is that you can, you can't, um, it's a lot cheaper to buy grit, if that makes any sense. You know, and you look at the team down the road, the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, um, they felt they weren't heavy enough to play against, right? They go and get Zach Bogosian one year, 900 mil, uh, Wayne Simmons one year, two, uh, two million, I think it was, you know, so you can buy those gritty, um, not, not skilled player. Like they, some of those guys have some skill, but I, I think they're easier to acquire on the open market than say William Elander is, or, you know, even for Ottawa Stutzel is, you know, and that's kind of where it's like, I'd like to see them at times go for a little higher end skill, but at the same time, 
some of their prospects who are gritty prospects look like they're going to be really, really good players anyway. So I, I don't think you can argue too, too much that what they're doing, like the last, I can't really remember too many prospects that I've been like in the past three years where I'm like, that really doesn't make sense in terms of looking back at it now. And the one thing I want to mention on Pinto is again, I, I think he, he clearly looks like an amazing prospect. I'm super excited. I didn't understand the whole, yeah, it's stupid that, or don't you look stupid now for saying, why'd you select Pinto? Because Arthur Kaliev, the guy people are mad that they didn't draft, his past two years in the OHL, he's had 102 points in 67 games and 98 points in 57 games. So it's not like this dude's looking like a bust either. No. Um, but again, like it's just, it depends who you want. And I don't think they made a bad pick, obviously, but there by any means. It was just one of the things where people were like, well, see, don't you look stupid now wanting Kaliev? It's like, well, no, he just hasn't played this year, so you haven't seen how good he looks either. Yeah, I don't think any reasonable person is going to is gonna knock the senator or, you know, say you're stupid for wanting Kaliev over Pinto. Like, there's a really good argument to make there. He's a nice player. We saw it last year at the World Juniors. We've seen it at every level he's played at. I think a larger part of it that people should focus on, and, and the reason why I like the Pinto pick, even in hindsight, is – let me ask you this. So you have Tim Stutzler this year, uh, and he's your number one center of the future. Uh, let's say one of Logan Brown or Josh Norris or whoever doesn't work out. Now you're in a position where you need to fill out your second, third line center. And, you know, it's now you've got to give up assets to get one on the open market or you're tight against the cap or whatever. Any number of things could happen. Now that you've drafted a Pinto, look at how the Ottawa Senators center prospects lined up. You've got Stutzla, you've got Josh Norris, you've got Logan Brown, uh, you've got Shane Pinto. You can still throw in Colin White into that mix uh, as one of the younger players. To me, that center core is the envy of the league. So I'm not saying the Ottawa Senators selected Pinto knowing that they were going to get a lottery pick in 2021, I think, or 2020, sorry. I think it was fairly obvious given the direction of the team. But in drafting this way, they didn't just get their number one franchise center that they hope to get out of this draft. They've shored up their entire middle down the prospect pool. So from that perspective, I really like it because I think it's, again, we were talking about it earlier. It's, it's a roster building approach rather than just a straight up skill at every position. Uh, so I think the senators are crafting not just a talented roster, but a deep one. And that so far they've shown a willingness to go out and get additional pieces like Evgeny Dadnov, right? Like I was pretty vocal in saying early in the offseason that the Senator situation at right wing was dire. You're looking at Drake Batherson and Connor Brown as your top two right wingers. That's not good, especially if you're having to shoehorn Drake Batherson into top line minutes that he may not be ready for. So getting a guy like Dadnov, the pieces are starting to fall into place. Even a guy like Galchenyuk is a good depth signing. So with regards to Pinto, I think they saw something there. And I think so far they're being rewarded for that. He's shown a really solid two-way game. Um, I really like him in his own end. I love him in the face-off circle. You know, I, I hate to make comparisons to NHL players, and I'm not saying he's going to end up at this level, but he's reminded me a lot of Patrice Bergeron over the past three games. Just the way he's steady in both ends of the ice. He doesn't make mistakes with the puck. He's a pit bull in terms of puck possession. He's really good at finding teammates, and he's more than willing to put his body on the line. He's played through some pain the last few games, blocking shots. He took a huge hit from McCade Webster at the end of the last Denver game that left him visibly shaken up. So, I mean, no, they're not – nobody's stupid for preferring Kaliev over, over Pinto, but I don't think there's any denying that the Senators have found a player here, at least for the short term. 
Yeah, and in saying that too, I think just a common strategy when you're drafting is if two play if you're close on two players, always take the center because it's a lot easier. We've just we've seen over history, it's a lot easier for a center to move to the wing position than it is to force a winger to move to the center position. There's just it's so much more you need to learn defensively and all that stuff, and and that's why I. Again, like I, when the Pinto, if you search my name in Pinto, the only thing you'll see is a tweet from about two days ago about me talking about, you know, what I see in him making the NHL or whatever. I had no opinions on it on draft night because I learned from the Kachuk mistake as well. Just like, just like you, you know, I hated the Kachuk pick. And so did I. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to say that is probably the most wrong I have been about a take ever, I think, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm free. I'm happy to admit that. I didn't, I didn't bother. You know, I, I had a tweet on draft night saying um, something along the lines of, like, I hope this is my worst take, and I haven't bothered to delete it because it turned out to be one of my worst takes, and I'm very, very happy about that, you know? And that's why it's like you, you go back and look at some of these, and again, like, the, the draft is such a crapshoot where it's like I don't always like endorsing the dunking on people four years later or whatever. It's like, yeah, I mean, sure. there At the time, like, there was reasonable evidence to suggest maybe you should have picked someone else, but that's why I also just try not to have a strong opinion on draft, especially not day two of draft day, you know? Like, if it's a top five pick and you feel real strongly about someone you've watched all year, sure, whatever, but, like, listen, like, I mean, like, there's so few people in the world that can rank 200 prospects and have seen the 69th ranked prospect or whatever enough to really definitively say, no, this guy is better than the 73rd ranked prospect. Right? And nobody, so, and nobody can see the future too. Right. Exactly. Like, right. Like who, and, like who knew Mark Stone was going to be what he is. You know, I keep going back to that example, but it's true. Same can be said of guys like Eric Carlson and con- consensus can be dangerous as well. Right. Like we've seen guys like Nelly Akapov go really yeah. high in the draft and, out of the yeah. NHL before long, right? So. And, and to that point, it goes the other way with the development well. Like, yep. when was the last time the Edmonton Oilers really developed anyone out of the top two rounds? Other than, like, I think you can say Yamamoto now. But, like, if you go – it's dire if you go and look at their past 10 years of draft yeah. history. Outside the first round, it's like – I think Clefbaum was a first-rounder. Obviously, McDavid, Dreisaitl, like – Nugent Hopkins. R&H, yeah. yeah. Like, just most of their roster, I think uh, – uh, Darnell Taylor. Nurse was a first rounder, or yep, maybe a Taylor second. Hall, round. Jordan Everly, yeah. like you can like, go back ten years, right? Like, yeah, but outside of those first two rounds, it's like they haven't developed anyone. Where it's like, so it's a, it's a skill, and you know, for some I, again, for some teams, I just think it's lucky. You know, even mm-hmm. Ottawa, as much as uh, Mark Stone improved himself, I don't think Ottawa saw him jumping from what they did when they drafted him to again no. a top five winger in the league. But yeah. it's that kind of thing, right? Where it's like, who knows what's going to happen? That's why I, I, I try to now preach don't be so angry on draft, especially day two. And I mean, like, and I say that with all due respect, because again, as you said, like some of the guys I follow the most is like Colin and Ari from uh, Silver 7, and they put hours and hours of work into what they do. And, yeah. you know, and so when they're disappointed, I'm not blaming them at all. And that they're not really who I'm talking to either, right? Because I trust them over, or as much as just about any prospect guy out there. Like they have put their work in. So I just mean as a general fan, like, if you're going to get mad, sure, but try to, you know, keep your emotions in check. Yeah, I think that's the thing, and I think you nailed it. I think that's the best approach is Ian Mendez gave me some great advice once, and he said, you can criticize, but don't make it personal. Uh, so if you're going to – if you don't like the Tyler Clevin pick, uh, and a lot of people didn't, don't say this kid sucks at hockey, like he's never going to be anything in the NHL. Say, hey, 
I don't know if it's great asset management to be trading up for this player. I think if you wanted him, you could get him later in the draft. You could sign him, whatever. Those are two very different things, right? Because on one side, you've now insulted a player uh, who's in most cases an 18 to 20 year old kid on the best day of their life and the best day of their family's life. And you've insulted not only just an NHL team, but an entire group of scouts who are people that have put tireless work into this, right? And have put hours and hours and hours of work more than any analyst into figuring out this player and deciding whether or not they're going to draft him. So I, I always think the best case is you can disagree with decisions, but going after people is, is where you get into trouble. And I'm not saying Colin and Ari did that on draft night by any means. Uh, like you, I respect the hell out of those guys. I, I had them both on my podcast um, the night before the draft just to, you know, get their sense of things and who and what direction they would go. And if they were the Ottawa senators. So I really think that's the best way to go about it is it's fine to disagree with things, but when there starts to be some venom in, in those words that people are, are spouting, then that's, that's where they run into trouble. Exactly. And it's not Tyler Clevin's fault. He got drafted to Ottawa. He didn't choose to get drafted to Ottawa. Ottawa chose him. Right. So like, exactly. yeah. don't, don't attack the kid for just, you know, living out his dream. Right. Like if it was me or you, yeah, of course I'm going to Ottawa. Like if the, if the NHL team drafts you, you're going there. And like, yeah, regardless of what you think of the player, and, 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 you know, I think a lot of people who do criticize the pick at times go, again, the guy could be great. And he seems like a great guy as well. There's no issue with that. It's, yeah, as you said, criticize the process, not the people, you know? And, like, again, like, there's there's such a difference between being, like, I didn't really enjoy this pick from Pierre Dorian and his staff, and Pierre Dorian and his staff are complete freaking morons. What are you guys doing? You know, like, those are two completely different yeah. Right. And, so. Yeah. And that's, and that's a mistake I've made too before. Right. Like I've, oh, yeah, in my, too. in my, in my criticisms of the senators and of the organization, I've gotten, you know, a little too personal and said some things I shouldn't have said. And, and I, but I've made a conscious effort to, to move away from that and to focus more on the decisions that are made. Uh, and you have to contextualize it too, you know, for the senators to take a Jake Sanderson, I think one of the big criticisms was that, oh, as a left-handed defenseman, they don't need a left-handed defenseman. They've got Branstrom, they've got Willen, and it's like, okay, but if you can get a player who you think projects to be better than those guys, maybe even on the level of a Thomas Shabbat or even better, you know, who knows? I'm not saying Jake Sanderson's going to be better than Shabbat, you know, just hypothetically. Uh, why wouldn't you? You know, um, I remember I was in, you know, this is going a little off topic, but I remember I played football at the University of Toronto for two years before I got hurt. And uh, I remember in my first year, um, we were doing off season and uh, something didn't go right. We were running a drill and it just completely fell apart guys weren't focused we weren't sharp so the coaches just snapped and they start running us and one of our coaches says what you don't understand is we dedicate this a significant amount of resources every year to bringing in new players to replace you we are trying to recruit you out you know and there's nothing personal about that you know they didn't hate us or dislike us but that's the business of it you are always going to try to add the best players that you can and if one of your players gets bumped because of that get bumped by a better player. You know, that's, that's sports. So if you can get a Jake Sanderson and you think he can bump a Christian Milan and, and you, or they can bump an Eric Branstrom or whoever that sucks for the guy he's bumping. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be a better hockey team because of it, you're going to do it. Uh, so there's, there's a method to the madness. The Ottawa senators aren't doing anything just for the sake of doing it. They have a plan that you may not agree with the plan. I, I know a lot of us disagree with a ton of aspects of it, but at the end of the day, they're doing things for a reason and they will be judged by how it evolves, not tomorrow, but a few years down the line. 
Yeah, for sure. And that's a great point. And honestly, with the Sanderson thing, um, it honestly comes down to what I like. If you look at it, especially when you look at it that way, it comes down to exactly what I think, too. It doesn't matter what you have in your organization. Take the best player available, especially at the top of the round like that. And like, don't go for organizational needs. And I know a lot of what people disagreed with was that Sanderson was the best player available. But if they think, and clearly they did think he was the best player available, go for it. I don't care if you have six great left-handed D because you can trade them. And we talk about trying to find another right winger. Well, guess what? There are always going to be teams looking for defensemen, you know? So there's going to be a right winger probably that is the same caliber on the market. And if you need to trade an Eric Branstrom or someone because you have an embarrassment of riches on the left side, go for it, you know? And like, that's the thing about just getting the most talent available. You can never have too much talent because if, the, if not everyone fits, guess what? You can find other places to replace them, you know? And that's such a, just great way of looking at it, in my opinion, of just like, don't worry about what you have, keep adding and then figure it out as you go. Yeah. That's, that's the way you have to do it. You know, I, I, and I've heard both things from the Ottawa senators on draft night, not from them directly, but I've heard that um, I've heard that they were going to take Lucas Raymond if he was still on the board. And I've heard that it was Jake Sanderson or bust. So you never know. Uh, But at the end of the day, the senators, I think they had a slam dunk draft, especially their first round. They've got two phenomenal standout players in Tim Stutzla and, and Jake Sanderson. They've got a really nice middle six center in Ridley Gregg. uh, And they filled it out with some help on the wings in the form of, form of Igor Sokolov. They took a flyer on a goaltender that they liked. Uh, So I I didn't really have any complaints about the senators at draft time, but just in a vacuum with regards to North Dakota, I think they're looking great in that program. I think it's far and away that the Ottawa senators prospects are the best players on that team. Like North Dakota's top four players are likely uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, Shane Pinto, Jake Sanderson, and Tyler Clevin. They have some nice, <clears throat> excuse me, they have some nice other players in there, some guys who are prospects of other NHL teams and some guys who are unsigned. But it's been the Senators players that have stood out for, for UND. Yeah, and honestly, that's a great transition to where we're going to get uh, going now. Uh, I think we've had, people have probably had enough of draft talk. World Junior Championship, Tyler Clevin played so well that he got a last-second invite. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it was due to injuries. I didn't see, but he got a last-second it was due to COVID protocol. COVID. So, okay. Yeah. So my, my understanding of it is it's the same situation that precluded Ridley Gregg from going to play for team Canada. Uh, there were players for team USA who had either tested positive or couldn't meet the requirements, um, whether it was physically or whether they had had a positive test after a certain date or whatever that they needed, that they needed replacement players. And Tyler Clevin was one of the guys. Picked. If, if I heard it right, December 5th was that cut date where it was like, if you, you needed to be clear by December 5th, if you had half year out of the tournament, because yeah. that was the issue with, um, I'm blanking on the prospect's name, but it was uh, Germany's uh, top forward. Or one of the their wolf? top forward. Yeah. Uh, something I, like that. Yeah. Yeah. He oh, was, no, I think I he's know. a Detroit prospect. I think. Yeah. Um, but and then uh, Sweden's top center, I believe, as well, is not out of the tournament now because of it. So yeah. either way, um, and we'll get to this in a second about the you know COVID cases. But Clevin gets an invite to the camp. It's awesome to see. Um, I, I, who knows if he'll make it, if he'll play, or anything like that. But just even getting an invite to the camp didn't seem like something I would have guessed even you know a week ago. And he just he played himself into a spot where, and obviously unfortunate circumstances came up for other people, but he can he now has the chance to at least take advantage of this. And obviously uh, Sanderson's on his way there. Sanderson, I think, is a lock for the team. I would be yeah, like, pretty much yeah. Like I, I I can't I literally cannot envision a scenario where he doesn't make the team. So no. um, you know Ottawa's prospects should be. 
decently represented. Obviously, Greg won't make – I don't think he was making Canada's team anyways, but he's can't. Um, they have uh, – I think Jarventi should probably – uh, make it. It's, it sounds like he's going to play for Team Finland. I, I mean, based on the season he's having, I don't see why he wouldn't. If 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 Roby Arvente is not good enough to play for that team, then Finland's going to have a pretty scary team this year. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's exciting for Sens fans. You know, and <laughs> honestly, I think as Ottawa fans, we've been pretty lucky to see our, you know, prospects be represented in this tournament for the past handful of years now, honestly. Like, you think, like, Shabbat, uh, Batherson and Formanton were both on the team and yep. both scored big goals and played crucial roles through that tournament. Um, I'm trying to think of what, like, Shabbat was the Shabbat played like 30 minutes a night when he was on the team, you know, and yeah. just like every year there's a couple guys on, you know, Finland or Sweden teams that are, are playing. So, you know, we've been relatively lucky to see a lot of prospects and it's going to continue this year because I think Sanderson's going to have a pretty big role with Team USA. Yeah, I think so. I think if, even if he doesn't right away, he's going to play his way into it. Just based on what I've seen from him, he is a guy who, and this was my impression on draft night, but just the way he's played so far into December has really solidified it for me. I think he's in the NHL next year. 2021-2022, uh, I think Jake Sanderson's playing playing either for the Ottawa Senators or in, or in Belleville or wherever. Like he, He's that good to me. Uh, just and it's something I've touched on before. It's the way he plays angles in the defensive zone, how strong he is on the puck. We've seen situations over the past few games where he's had three or four defenders on him, and he still comes out of the corner or off the boards with the puck, makes a gorgeous pass. He set up Ethan Frisch for a goal against Denver this, in the second game that they played, and it was ridiculous. He skated in over the blue line himself, deep into their zone, had three defenders on him, somehow managed to come out with the puck, Gorgeous pass across the ice, and Frisch scores a, a, a beautiful goal. Uh, so I, I, I believe Sanderson will have a pretty sizable role on that Team USA team. Uh, in terms of the other guys across the board, obviously Tim Stutzla is going to be, you know, as he goes, Germany will go. Um, I have my own opinions on whether or not he should be playing in this tournament, but that's just me. Uh, from there, like you mentioned before, Yarventi for Finland has the potential to have a really nice tournament. If and if Clevin gets on the ice for, for for USA, I see no reason why he can't be an impressive player too. Is he probably going to be on the level of a guy like Sanderson? I don't think so. But stranger things have happened, and I think the Senators will be re well represented. And you know, you were touching on it earlier. On it earlier, they've had tons of representation at this tournament that has made them look really good over the past few years. Guys like Bernard Docker, guys like Lassie Thompson, Shane Pinto was arguably the best forward in the tournament last year, save for maybe Alexi Lafreniere. So, yeah, I really like what I'm seeing from the Senators' development program right now, and I think the World Juniors are going to be really fun to watch for Sens fans. Yeah, it should be. I mean, they're fun every year, to, even if you don't have prospects in. But if you want to watch Sens prospects, it's going to be a good time. And it's fine. I just – um, for whatever reason, Stutzel just completely skipped my mind there, and he's probably going to be the best one to watch. I would assume in the entire tournament. Uh, oh, definitely. Prospects, right? Especially yeah. when you, especially when you consider the amount of ice time he's going to get. Right? Like he's oh, going to well, be, he's going to be on the ice every shift for Germany. Yeah, especially with the other forward out now. It's like he is like he is going to be like was it? Oh, who was playing? It was Switzerland. I think it was Nico Heischer a couple of years ago. Yeah, probably. And yeah. He literally played like 33 minutes in their elimination game. And it's like, yeah. that is honestly the minutes, I think. And there was, I think Dreisaitl did the same for Germany in his draft year. It, that is the type of thing I think Stutzel might do this year. And I'm extremely excited to watch it. I know, like, I don't think he would be going to the tournament if he's not fully healthy. So I'm not really worried on that end. And that's kind of why, you know, I went back and forth on it. I'm, I'm excited to see. I think it's good for him to be at this tournament because – 
you see time, and I don't know, I don't know if the tournament's that big of a deal. Uh, not that, but I think people overrate how much the tournament impacts development sometimes. Yeah. But in a weird year like this, I think that even, you know, especially if, I don't know if he's coming to Ottawa after or not, I have no idea, but if your plan <laughs> is to have him in Ottawa, I think the best training camp is a tournament playing against a whole bunch of other skilled players where it is going to be competitive. Like, if this is the case and he goes to Ottawa after, he's going to be one of the most fierce players in Ottawa just because of the fact that he's had three weeks of real competitive hockey already. Well, Tim Stutzler is going to Ottawa. He will be in Ottawa to start the season. There's no no doubt in my mind whatsoever about that fact. Uh, I think, and Bruce, this is a credit to Bruce Garriock, who was on Sense Chirp's podcast the other day. Uh, Bruce was basically saying, and this is a guy who's pretty dialed in, obviously. He was saying that uh, I think the only reason that Stutzla hasn't been released from Mannheim yet is because Mannheim is making sure that the NHL is actually going to have a season. Uh, they don't want to give up Tim Stutzla's rights before they know that he's actually going to be playing hockey games in Ottawa. Because if they give up his rights and the NHL doesn't have a season, and now Ottawa says, well, hold on, we don't want you going back to Mannheim. We don't want you getting hurt. Just take the gear off or go play wherever and just yeah. chill out. Then Mannheim's in a really bad spot. They got to look out for their own interests just as much as Ottawa and Tim Stutzla have to look out for theirs. So, so that would that would be why Stutzla hasn't been released yet. I would be, I, I would, I, I'm struggling to come up with something that would shock me as much that if then Tim as Tim Stutzla not playing in Ottawa this season, like the imminent heat death of the sun would, you know, I would probably still be more surprised by Stutzla not going to Ottawa. So. For me, he'll be there. Uh, as far as the World Juniors go, yeah, it's it's a good point that giving him a chance to kind of get his feet back under from back under him after two months off is it's a good opportunity to play some high end hockey and and get warmed up for the season. I just worry about him getting hurt. Um, you know, touch wood. God forbid he you know he blows a knee or something like that, and then you don't have him, and you're not sure what other kind of effects he could have the rest of his career. And with the COVID situation right thing right now, the last thing you want is for Tim Stutzla to get COVID and for, you know, and for him to have some kind of lingering effects from that. Uh, we've seen sweet, Team Sweden get decimated. I think they have five or six coaches now that have tested positive like that or something ridiculous. Ridley Gregg, the reason he got cut, like we touched on, is because he's still dealing with the effects of COVID. He had a test in early November and he still doesn't have his lungs back up to speed. So uh, that's my worry with Stutzla going to the World Juniors. That's just me wanting probably being a little bit paranoid and wanting to protect this asset as much as possible i don't know if i'm pure dorian that i would be letting stutzla go or you know the, the, the problem is right now is if stutzla wants to go he's gonna go i, I would imagine that he's gonna do whatever the senators ask of him anyway but he doesn't have but the senators don't have him under contract right now so they don't really technically have any control over what he does and where he goes uh, so if it were me I'm very worried. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be holding my breath a little bit every time Team Germany plays. But I really am excited to watch the player. Like, he's a tremendous, tremendous hockey player to watch. He's a guy that most people haven't gotten to watch in real time yet in terms of fans of the Senators. So getting to see him in action against some of the best young players in the world, it is going to be a treat. I don't want to be too much of a downer. It, it is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, with the injury thing, it's fair. It's always a risk when you loan your players. But I think it's like – if you're going to look at that for Stutzel, you got to look at that for all prospects too. And there's just as high as a chance that like Clevin comes in and blocks a shot and breaks his leg or something like that. Yeah, but they don't have the same value, right? Sure. Like a Tyler Clevin and a Tim Stutzel, like yeah, but I mean, not... but Sanderson too. You know what I mean? And like yep. the thing is, like, I, I like obviously if if his release, he's going to Ottawa. 
if he, God forbid, and again, like I don't want him to get hurt, obviously. No, nobody does. <laughs> if, if for some reason he did get hurt and missed a couple months this season, it's not like it would be the end of the world because no. like, and again, like I, you obviously don't want him to get hurt, but it's not like, you know, like when people were like, well, why didn't the Rangers release Lafreniere? It's like, well, the Rangers are going to be legitimately competing for a playoff spot. Oh, absolutely. You no. Know? And yeah. so like that, I totally understand. And, um, you know, maybe a lesser sense to the Hughes and the Devils, but for Ottawa, it's like, if Stutzel, like, obviously you want to see what Stutzel has. You want him to play. You want him to develop, obviously. If he, for whatever reason, suffered a freak injury and, um, you know, hopefully it wouldn't be his knee or anything like that. But if he missed a couple of times, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I just think you can't worry too, too much about the injuries. Obviously, you need to keep them in mind. But yeah, the other course. thing that I think makes me more okay with him going to this year is the shortened season effect. Um, mm-hmm. If it was a full 82-game season – We've seen year after year, even the best rookies say how much of a freaking grind it is to get through an 82 game because yeah. none of them play that much hockey, you know? Like mm-hmm. in junior, you play 56 games and maybe a world, world or you play 45 games in a world junior tournament or 56 games and not, um, you know, overseas, they don't play 82 games. So when you go to the NHL, it's such a change. But this year, it looks like it's going to be 52 to 56 games. So, you know, now you have 30 games docked off your schedule or so. I feel at least a little bit better about the stamina thing where it's like, you don't have to worry quite as much about him playing a full world juniors tournament and then like 70 hockey games as well. Right. In yeah. the NHL. So that makes me a little more confident for stuff as well. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And that's a really good point. In fact, I think you do have to throw the conventional wind wisdom out the window to some degree in a year like this uh, guys are dealing with such a long layoff that, you know, they don't know when they, you know, you don't know which guys have been able to get on the ice. Um, there's been a select few that have actually been able to play competitive hockey. A lot of the senators prospects have been lucky in that sense, but even some of them have had to shut things down. Like Vitaly Abramov's uh, team and league shut things down for a bit due to the COVID situation. So I think it's not a bad thing to get Tim Stutzel on the ice. And again, playing against such high level competition, right after he had had an injury, however minor it was, it's going to be good for him. It's going to help get his kind of sea legs back, and then he's going to be ready to go for camp. And you don't have to worry about any kind of injuries from him going into training camp cold or going into a season cold. We don't even know what a training camp is going to look like. You know, it, it's garbage, but there's there's going to be no extended camp or or anything like that for the teams that didn't get to play in the bubble. So the Senators, the the Wings, the Ducks, the LA, like any team that was in that kind of lower tier of the league that didn't even travel to the bubble, they're at a major disadvantage. So for a team like Ottawa, having a guy like Stutzla use the World Juniors as kind of a warm-up to get ready to go, I think that's going to be a good thing. I think more than anything, I am just, I'm being a little too paranoid about, you know. Well, you, the, never, you never want to see a guy get hurt, right? No, like especially, for, if, especially if you're the Ottawa Senators. Like, they yeah. haven't had a caliber of this, a player of this caliber since Jason Spezza. Yeah. So, so you want to protect that kid at all costs, yeah. right? Like, part of me just wants to bubble wrap him and sit him down until the season starts in January. That's totally uh, but yeah. Yeah, but it's a good point. It is a shortened season, so getting the World Juniors and then 56 games is going to help him prepare him for the grind of a full season that we get next year, ideally. I mean, it seems like we will, but I don't want to take anything for granted after the year 2020 has been. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm really just excited to watch some good hockey. I I know the bubble only ended in September, but I am starving for some hockey. Like, as soon as they started sounding like – sorry, I almost dropped my phone there. As soon as they almost sounded like – as soon as they 
started talking like the NHL is getting ready to go in January, I started getting those butterflies in my stomach, right? I'm like, okay, it's finally happening. Like we're going to get to watch some hockey again. The main thing is we're going to get to watch the Ottawa Senators again. Uh, I, I did the math actually, funnily enough, if the season starts January 13th and the Ottawa Senators play on January 13th, that'll have been 308 days since their last game, which is unfathomable. It's insane. Like, yeah, that's so, like, you're so close to a year. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty. We haven't seen a layoff this long since the o four o five season when the entire season was shut was shut down was locked out. So, so for Stutz, for Stutzla in particular, getting the World Juniors under his belt and then the fifty six games, I think it's going to be good for him. Just me as purely as a fan of the game, I want to see this kid on the ice every chance I can get. So I worry about the injury thing, but he's going to be fine, and I, I'm really looking forward to watching him play both for Germany and for Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say it better myself. I think um, the World Juniors are great every year, whether you know prospects or not. Um, they're, it's just it's chaos hockey. It's the best thing in the world. They're going to be especially amazing this year, and I, I'm totally excited. Um, on that note, I think that's enough uh, prospect talk. Let's move on to the actual Senators roster. I, I have a couple things I've written down. Um, there's not a ton to talk about, obviously, right now. It's not like a lot of news is broken, and we're going to do a ton of prod, uh, roster projections as we go on here, but I just had a couple things. One, I want to talk to you about the goalie situation, obviously bringing Matt Murray in. He's going to be a projected starter. Um, I really thought, I really liked what I saw out of Marcus Hogberg last year. I really think he, he showed that he's an NHL goalie of some caliber. Um, so just in your opinion, what kind of role do you think you're we're going to see from the sense goalies? Do you think it's going to be closer to a 50, 50 split, or do you think it's going to be, Murray's going to get the chance to be the starter and say in an ideal 82 game season, he's going to get 55 starts. Hogberg's going to get 35 or 30 or whatever that leaves him. 30. Well, it's definitely the latter. Uh, Pierre Dorian, after they traded for Matt Murray came out and said, Matt Murray, our starting goaltender. Um, And that's not a knock on Marcus Hogberg. I I was firmly in the camp that he is an NHL goaltender after the stretch that he had at the beginning of last year. The trouble is you didn't see it for an extended period of time, right? It was only from about early January to March. So, and it's also tough to project because they were a terrible team. Uh, So his numbers and whatnot can be kind of deceptive. Uh, I think he has what it takes to at the very least be a, one of the league's better backups. Uh, He has that kind of ability in my mind, but I just think when you have Matt Murray, that's a 26 year old goaltender. That's won two Stanley cups. Those don't grow on trees. Uh, The Ottawa Senators value this asset quite a bit, as you can see with the contract extension that they gave him after the trade. Uh, So it'll be dependent on, you know, ability and performance for sure. Uh, I don't think if Matt Murray goes out and completely lays an egg and has something like a 3.5 goals against average and a sub 900 save percentage that he's going to be getting the lion's share of the starts necessarily. But I really, I do think that he's coming into camp as their de facto starting goaltender. And I, I see no reason why that should change. I, I, I know people have voiced concerns about Matt Murray's ability and about his, uh, I guess, regression, they've called it. But it's like I said, and, you know, I, I was talking to Haley Salvian around the time the trade was made. And, you know, she said, I think, yeah, she said, you don't win 117 games or whatever he's won by accident, you know, by the time you're 26, there's something there. 
Uh, and that just, that just doesn't go away either. So when you get Matt Murray in Ottawa, you get him with Pierre Gruel, who's by all accounts is one of the better goaltending coaches in the league. Uh, Murray and him are very excited about working together from what I understand. I think it's a match made in heaven. I think Matt Murray is going to be the starting goaltender for the Ottawa Senators at, for the foreseeable future, at least for the, probably for the next three, four years. Um, but you never know. Uh, you know, if, if I had told you a year ago that we would be in the midst of a global pandemic and even on a much, much smaller scale than that, Anders Nilsson would be, his career would be in doubt because of post-concussion, post-concussion symptoms, right? Like you'd be looking at it like, what are the Ottawa Senators going to do? Uh, so I think trading for Murray was a really savvy move especially the value they got him at. My God. Uh, I mean, I was hearing rumblings about this type of move, especially hap- especially for Murray happening early in the spring and in the summer around the time before the bubble started. But it was always like you were talking like either a first round pick or a higher end prospect in a second. And they the Senators got him for what's essentially a B-level prospect in John Gruden and a second rounder. Um, so it was. It, so it equates to chump change, pretty much, that they got Matt Murray for, with no disrespect to Gruden or and you know the asset that they traded. But I'm really excited to see what he can do. Uh, I don't think there's a shred of doubt that he's the Ottawa Senator starting goaltender, and I see no reason why that would change for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who are worried about, or not, uh, yeah, a little bit worried about his past past year or two result. Um, but again, like he's 26 and he has shown also two years of being a legitimate, very good NHL goalie. And I don't know if the results are going to show it this year just because of how bad the team is still going to be, honestly. Thing, like, yeah. But that being said, like I just, my one thing for what I, I hope to see from DJ Smith and the coaching staff in general is I hope there's no, um, you know, I hope they don't worry about sunk costs. And pretty much what I mean by that is, if Murray's struggling and Hogberg's doing great, just ride your hot hand, you know, don't worry yeah. that you gave Murray a big contract or you traded for him or whatever. Again, I, I was like you, I thought the price was amazing compared to what was rumored. Um, the contract I'm skeptical about, I thought it was a lot of money, but again, RFA, you pay, he's won two cups, you know, you got to pay for that. So whatever. I, I just hope with the coaching staff, it's they play whoever's doing well. So in a 56 game season, if Murray's playing well, if he plays 30, five 38 42 games or whatever i really don't care if he struggles a little bit and the the numbers are closer to 35 and you know 28 or whatever again i don't care with that either you know i just Mm -hmm. hope that my only hope for the coaching staff going forward and again goaltending i don't think the results are going to matter too much this year i i I don't know where you stand on that i still think this is probably a bottom five team in the league bottom three maybe and absolutely especially in their division they're in you know like there's no real bad team other than them now in their division. And it's going to be tough to get points, honestly. So it's not that goaltend, the, the results, you, you don't want to breed a losing culture or anything like that. But if they lose more than they win, which they're probably going to this year, it's yep. not the end of the world. But yeah, going forward, I just hope that they just play the best available option. It doesn't matter due to contract. And I don't really have a reason to believe they won't, you know, like, yeah. um, well, look at, look at guys like Bobby Ryan and guys like Mikel Bodker. Mikel Bodker is exactly right? who I was going to bring up last year. Yep. Yeah. Like, like, and even Bobby Ryan made more money than him. And when he wasn't cutting it, and this was obviously before Bobby entered the player assistance program and everything, DJ Smith sat him down. He, yep. You know, he wasn't going to play him. So I, I don't see any indication that this coaching staff is going to not put the best players on the ice, regardless of age. Uh, 
from what I can tell, DJ Smith's culture is very much nobody rides for free. Um, and I, and I, so I, I think that would extend to the goaltending, but in terms of the contract, let me ask you this. If Matt Murray comes out this year and he has like a peak Craig Anderson-esque season, so not necessarily Vesna winner, but what equates to a really good starting goaltender, are you dissatisfied with that contract? No, not at all. And, and that's why I, like, I don't think it's the worst contract sign in the world. Right. I, and even if it doesn't turn out, it's not like this is going to crush you in three years or whatever. No, it's not six at million. All. And you know, by the time it's done, then you're really starting to have to pay your players. So yeah, it's definitely the caveat that I don't think it's the worst thing. It's just one of those things where, especially in the year that they paid it, you look at like Markstrom getting a lower AAV and it's two totally different scenarios, but it's like, Oh, that's yeah. a little surprising, you know? And just with his, I don't want to say lack of just his results over the past two years from an underlying perspective, especially have been mm-hmm. concerning. And again, like Pittsburgh's defense really, really took a bite to the injury bug last year. So yeah, there's only so much you can good. do. No, exactly. And even when they won they, the cup, that defense wasn't good, oh, right? It was horrible. Like, like Ron Hainsey was playing top pair minutes. Like, yeah. Like the year they beat, the year they beat Ottawa, their defense was not good. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, and a big reason why they beat Ottawa and the Predators was Matt Murray. Matt Murray uh, came in. Yeah. And, Mark and, and, Andre and, Fleury laid an egg that series. Like, yeah. And the other part of the, about the money thing too is, do you honestly see a situation where Nikita Zaitsev is an Ottawa Senator in three years? Cause I don't. Um, so, so that's going to free up a little bit of money, even, even if you do, right. Um, there's going to be guys coming off the books. Um, you know, you are going to have to play, pay young players. Yeah. Brady Kachuk is going to need to get paid. Drake Batherson, Alex Formanton, guys like that are going to need to get paid. Eric Brandstrom, Christian Milan, and whoever's around. So the money will be there. It always is. Um, the Ottawa senators have never been a team that's up against the cap, uh, and have never struggled to, you know, you can always move assets, right? So yep. even if, if even if you run into a situation where Matt Murray has totally laid an egg, his career has fallen off a cliff, and that contract is just total garbage, uh, there's going to be a way out of it. And, you know, maybe I am putting a little bit too much faith in this management group, but you think about the guys that are here that are not going to be here. Um, you know, they cut Bobby Ryan, you know, whoever, whoever thought that would happen. Right? They're not going to need the money for three years. So in three years, if it's that bad of a contract, a buyout's an option, you know? Yeah, take and it. you're pushing for – and ideally, if, if projections are to be believed and the goal of this organization is being met, you're not just pushing for the playoffs in three years. You're pushing for a Stanley Cup. Yeah. So it's, for lack of a better term, balls to the wall time anyway, yeah. you know? Um, so I, I think they're going to be fine in terms of money. Uh, I think – I think Matt Murray will perform to this contract, if not outperform it. Uh, And and maybe that's just a misguided sense of optimism on my part, but I think they're going to be all right. I really, I really do. Like I'm not concerned about goaltending in the slightest. Yeah. I mean, they have a ton of great looking goaltending prospects too, which is encouraging. And yeah, the the money concern for me is not that they're going to be up against the cap. It's always comes back to the owner and just how much he will be willing to spend. But it's just a discussion for a different time, you know, like I, at this point, it wouldn't shock me if they don't spend and that would be concerning, but at the same time, that's two or three years down the road. So like, you just got to hold, like, you can't be planning that your owner is going to be a cheap ass in three years and be no. like, ah, we can't sign this contract. You but, also, you also don't know what a financial landscape post COVID looks like too, yeah. right? So, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe the long rumored sell comes when Seattle gets in and he gets it. I don't know. It maybe. doesn't matter. That would be more of a concern to me. I really don't think they'll be pressed against the cap um, because, you know, you look at teams like Tampa Bay, how long have they been pressed against the cap? And 
even this year. They just find a way to make it work, man. Like Mikhail mm-hmm. Sergachev, here's just a nice bridge deal that would like every RFA will take. We're good again. Like it's just like it, there's so many ways to move money, and the Zaitsev thing's interesting just because. Man, I'm so low on Zaitsev that I think he, unless he goes back to Russia because he's getting scratched or something, I could just see him wanting to take out the four and a half million. But I guess his, his actual pay drops, I think, in a couple of years or, you know, over the course of the contract. So, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things where I'm not worried about the cap implications. It's more the owner, but what are you going to do? Like, there's yeah. only so much as a G. It's like, well, if we're that restricted, what's the point of, you know, even trying to make moves here, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I think if push comes to push comes to shove with Zaitsev, they'll cut him at the very worst. Uh, I don't know if Seattle touches him in an expansion draft setting. Uh, I think you'd have to give up a pretty big asset to get that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they even um, you know they've they seem to be favoring an analytics based approach, yeah. and and analytics don't flatter Nikita Zaitsev. That's that's not any not secret. even a little bit. No, so. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I think I think you can get to a point with the player where if you are good enough and the team surrounding him is good enough, you can move him if you are desperate to move that money. Uh, or, you know, you can cut bait with him if you have to. Like I said, if they, honestly, if they cut Bobby Ryan, I don't think there's anyone the Ottawa Senators wouldn't cut. Like yeah. that, that, yeah. that totally blindsided me. That, that caught me way off guard. So, I, 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 and, and, you know, it, it is really, you know, for lack of a better term, it's a pointless discussion to have because we don't know what the ownership dynamic is going to be like. We don't know what the financial landscape of the league is going to look like. We don't know what the Ottawa Senators are going to be like by this point. Um, I, I think the larger point is, you know, as a team that has never really been w- willing to spend money, the other part of it too is they've never been willing to spend money, but it's not like they've traded star players at every turn, right? Like, sure, there was this mass exodus with Carlson and Stone and whatnot. But we didn't see it really happen before that, where guys with you know massive contracts that were playing top of top caliber, uh, you know, putting out top caliber performances were getting moved for no reason. Uh, so hopefully that's a thing of the past now, and hopefully we're we're past that in terms of the Ottawa Senators. But I think money wise they'll be all right for sure. I, I would agree with you there absolutely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Just on the, yeah, I, I really it's it's just a moot um, a moot point. Of like, there's just no point in in stressing over it because there's just nothing anyone can do about it, right? Like, whatever happens, happens, and you know, I don't know. I'm still optimistic that the team will be sold eventually, but who knows? You know, we've been talking about it for three years. We don't need to talk about it right now while the team is looking so promising. So, um, I guess the, I had a couple other things written down, but uh, this has been a great discussion. Um, I got one more thing that I really want to touch on. And, yeah, fire away, man. Um, this is the improvement of two players that I think are going to be key and that people aren't exactly talking about just because of how many new toys are coming in this year. But um, as I said earlier, this is a, still another growing year. You know, I, I want yeah. to see them get better. But um, this year, the two most important players to me, apart from obviously like Stutzel and, and you know, even Batherson, I think, to a point, are the improvement um, continued of Shabbat and Kachuk. And yeah. Um, so we'll start with Kachuk because I think he's got the one that's more to grow. Uh, I think he's got more room still to grow. And um, obviously he's surpassed any expectations that he could have. Um, there's two big, th- I don't know about you, but there's two big things I still really want to see him improve on. And one, I think he absolutely can. And that's just taking less penalties. Um, he draws so many, obviously. And, you know, part of that is he takes less. If he can become like his brother where he takes even less, I think he'll become such a valuable player in just how often he can put his team on the power play that I'm, I'm really curious because I also like, how do you technically improve that? It's not like it's just 
you go out and you work on your shot or something. It's, yeah. it's just a subconscious thing, you know? So that's one of the things I really want to see him improve on. And then his goal scoring ability and not in terms of like, he doesn't need an Austin Matthews type shot, but when you generate as much as he does in front of the net, just seeing him tap home a few more would be really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's a couple things there. So in terms of the taking penalties, that's just something that's going to come with experience. It's, it's learning how to walk the line. It's learning uh, standards that officials have. It's just an experience thing that's going to come with – it's a field type thing. Uh, he already draws more penalties than he takes, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So, oh, yeah. He's still in the green. Don't get me wrong. Oh, it's yeah. Just, so, I think there's another step there. that he For can sure. So as long as he can avoid developing a Brad Marchand-style reputation where officials are, like, looking to call a penalty on him, then yeah. he's going to be okay. Uh, that, that doesn't concern me. As far as the, the, the chances go, I, it's finishing we're talking about. And, and I think there's something to that for sure. He generated a historic amount of shots. I think he was oh, yeah. on pace to have 300 shots or something ridiculous like that. Uh, so, yeah, you would like to see him scoring more than, I think it was 21 goals that he, that, that he finished with, that, you know, with that amount of shots. I think a larger part of it, though, is there were just some – and it was the same thing with Anthony Duclair's cold snap that he had. There were just some bad breaks last year. Like Duclair would hit a post or he'd fan and miss a wide-open net. Brady had some similar plays to that. But the other thing, too, is Brady is in the right position a lot of the time, but he doesn't always have teammates that can get the puck to him or vice versa. So getting him a playmaking center in a guy like Stutzla is going to work wonders for his production. Uh, Brady's going to be putting up way more points when a guy like Tim Stutzla hits his prime and is playing and is playing on his line up the middle. Um, a guy with that level of passing, that level of offensive vision, hell, even Logan Brown. Uh, Logan Brown has a ridiculous amount of vision. So if he can, if he can put it together at the NHL level, you're going to start seeing Brady score more points. If Josh Norris puts it together, those two already have obvious chemistry. You're going to start seeing more points. So a lot of that is just going to come with the team improving uh, and with getting a playmaking center on Brady's line. So you're right. I would say those two areas are probably the ones that he needs to improve in the most. He could stand to improve his skating, but he already improved it a lot this year. Um, I think he'll take an, I think you'll see him take another step in that avenue this year, however small, based on the weirdness of this offseason. But given how hard Brady works and his self-awareness, I really think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to – I think you're going to see Brady Kachuk around the Mark Stone level within the next few years. I think he's going to be in that upper echelon of wingers. Not to go on too much of a tangent, but in the summer I did a, I did a comparison piece uh, on the first – I think it was – because Brady's played, uh, what is it now, like 144 games over the, over the past two years. Uh, so I compared his first – 144 games with Mark Stones. And the similarities are pretty striking. Stone is a bit better playmaker, but Brady is lights out better at generating offense as a whole. Um, still has some work to do in his own end of the ice, but again, that'll also come with the team improving. So I think the Senators have Mark Stone 2.0 and Brady Kachuk, and we're going to see that in the next few years. I mean, that's super high praise. That's certainly very, very high praise. And, um, you know, I, I would love to see that. And I should point out that, like, when we're talking about improvement at this point, it's, it's literally – it's not that he's a bad player by any means. It's just no, that, no, that, no. that extra step just to get to that next level, right? Like, yep. if for whatever reason Brady Kachuk capped out at the player he was last year, you're still not complaining about that. That is no. a legitimate first-line winger who yep. can drive play, and he, he he's going to generate more than they give up when he's on the ice. So – you're never going to complain about that, but yeah. You like, can't ask for more than that, no. Exactly, but if he develops those other – and definitely I agree with you, quality of teammates going to help because 
the only time he really had a good quality teammate was with Mark Stone as an 18-year-old, and he looked amazing. Mm-hmm. So if you give him three years of growth plus, again, the chance to play with really skilled players, yeah, I think his points are naturally going to increase. So it's like if he can take those couple steps, I, he, I definitely am right there with you where he can be one of the most dominant players in the league. And even if he's not quite to the Mark Stone echelon, like I don't see any reason why he can't crack the top 20, top 15 wingers in the league, you know? Maybe no, he's I not think he top, will. Yeah, like maybe he's yeah. not top three, top five because I like I'm super high on Stone. I think he is top three. I think Kucherov and Panarin are obviously better than him, but then I think Stone's right there in that next grouping, right? Yeah. Even if Kachuk doesn't get there, I just I find it really hard to see him not being a top ten, top fifteen, you know, guy. So obviously the improvements are. Um, minimal in a sense, but, you know, also big in impact in just terms of your overall ranking. But I think that's kind of, this is why I really want to see what they can do for him this year, because last year, it's not that he was put in a horrible position, but obviously Ottawa's roster just wasn't that good, you know? Well, his center for most of the year was J.G. Pajot. Yeah, exactly. And then they traded him, and it's like, well, now you're playing with Chris Tierney, I guess. Yeah, like, well, on a, on a contending team, like your, your top line left winger is not going to be playing with a Pajot or a Tierney, right? Yeah. Nothing against those guys, but they belong in the middle of the lineup. That's that's just the way it is. Even a guy like Pajot who had a career season this year, like that's that's not where he projects to play. Um, I, I believe that if Mark Stone were on Brady's wing this year, you probably would have seen him score in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 more points within those 72 games um, just because that's a guy who can get the puck to him and vice versa. So yeah. it's, it's a, yeah, you, you're exactly right. Um, does he have more improvements to make for sure? Will he cap out as a top three winger? Maybe not. I see him probably being at least in the conversation for top five uh, once he peaks out. And once he gets to that 25, 26 range where he's physically, he's done physically maturing and he's starting to really dominate. I, I, that's where I see Brady, but, but time will tell. Right. Um, I think a lot of it depends on roster construction though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, um, it's same with pretty much anyone, you know, if you don't have a good quality of teammate, how can you expect your um, results to be off the charts anyways, you know, obviously yeah. to a certain extent, there's still the, the Drew Doughty effect where it's like, okay, when you're actively like horrible with bad teammates, maybe you're not, as great as everyone thinks as well, but that's not the case for Brady Kachuk. And yeah, definitely. I think the other way you want to see him improve is in his own end a little bit. They were um, not a good team when he was on the ice defensively, but you know, there's only so much you can affect as a winger. So that's and his isolated impact is pretty good. Sorry, not yeah. to cut you off, but like, no, no, go ahead. like yeah. In, yeah, but in terms of defensive zone impact, he's, he's not Mark Stone caliber, but he's getting there. Um, his possession numbers were pretty good this year. Uh, like I said, isolated impact is is a big thing for me, especially when you're talking about defensive performance. And Brady's was pretty good. So I, I think when you, again, when you get the better team around him uh, and the, as he gets older, right? Like we forget that this kid's what, like 21 now or something? Yeah, he, I think he just turned 21. So yeah, probably because this would be a 21 year old season if it's right. So correct, yeah, yeah. So so he's gonna so he's gonna be just fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? And you don't need him to be Mark Stone defensively either. Like if he gets that point, great. But like if he's just average, maybe even slightly above average, you again, like just with what he does in the offensive zone, you're not gonna complain about it, like no, at, at all. So um, best yeah, defense really, is a good offense, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing too, right? With defense, like it's so hard to judge, but like. If you give me a guy who just got the puck on his stick 70% of the time, I'm going to take that guy every day because it means that the opposition doesn't have it. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's definitely one of those things where – and same with Shabbat to a lesser extent because I think Shabbat is – 
he can still work on his own in his own end, I think as well is, you know, it's kind of why I want to see him, you know, work with a better partner. I'm really worried that they're going to staple Zaitsev or Gabranson to him again this year. And again, like I hear from everything I hear, Gabranson's a great guy in the room. He's not a great guy on the ice or sorry. He's not a top four defenseman or whatever you want saying. Call, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, he's, I'm sure he's an awesome guy and hell I, I'm even more okay with the pickup now than I was when it happened. But at the same time, him and Zaitsev just shouldn't be on the top pair. No offense to them. It's just, not where their role is. So I really am curious to see what Shabbat does this year to improve his game because I just, I honestly don't think his offensive game can get much better. I mean, maybe there is the extra step, but he's so damn good at that already where it's like, I really hope he takes a step forward in his defensive game because if he does that, he catapults from like a top 20-ish defenseman to a top 10 or like even closer to top five in a year or two, in my opinion. Yeah, his defensive metrics actually improved this year, which is interesting. Uh, even even with a partner like Nikita Zaitsev, who maybe didn't flatter him as much as, say, Dylan DeMello did. Uh, is there a good chance that we see him playing with Zaitsev or Goodbranson this year? Yeah, I would say so. Just based on experience and just based on who the Senators have, right? Like, yeah. they don't have a lot on the right side right now, which is why they went out and made those moves. I think, and this this is just my gut feeling, I think there's a reasonable chance you play, you see Thomas Shabbat play a good percentage of the year with either uh, Josh Brown or Artem Zub. Um, and the reason for that is, and again, this is just a gut feeling. I'd probably lean to more, more towards Brown. I think Brown really complements Shabbat's game in that he is a steady stay at home defenseman. His numbers in Florida did not, were not eye popping by any means, but it's well documented that he was playing in a system in Florida that he wasn't as comfortable with. He has familiarity with DJ Smith having played for him in Oshawa. And he also has the, he also plays as he's better suited to the style that the senators play that box, the puck, the box out style in front of the net. So I think having him as a steadying influence in the back end is going to allow Shabbat to take more risks and take and, and create more offense. We also don't know what Artem Zub is, right? So for all we know, he could come in and be a top two defenseman. Uh, there was a clip that I think J.D. Burke tweeted last night. Uh, he crushed of, someone yesterday. Yeah, somebody yeah. skated into the zone and he played the ankle perfectly and yeah. just smoked a player trying to pull a toe drag or between the legs move on him. So I think one of those guys, there's a reasonable chance we see them play with Shabbat. I feel like it's going to be Josh Brown just based on his skill set and his size and physical ability. Uh, but who knows? I think either way, Thomas Shabbat's going to be Thomas Shabbat. I don't think any putting anyone, putting him with anyone in particular, is going to hurt his development. No. His numbers might be a little better with a guy like with a guy like Josh Brown or Artem Zub or of course Dylan Demello, who he looked great with. But if he ends up with a good Branson or Zaitsev, it's it's not the end of the world. You know, I don't think anybody's no, expecting the Senators to be dynamite defensively this year, right? Like, no, he's at the definitely at the point now where it's you're not hurting his development at all. It's just it's not even it's just you could be helping it more, it feels like at times. Yeah, you and, want to surround him with the best players, right? Yeah, exactly. Like and, Mark Mathot and Eric Carlson. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't I think Josh Brown is probably their best option right now. And I think that probably speaks more to just how few options they have in terms of good quality. Like I don't yeah. get me, I think Brown's a solid bottom pair defenseman, maybe even a number four if you need him to be. But he was I had Dom Lashijan on my podcast last week and he was saying yeah. he he said he didn't mind the Brown pickup, but he was highly sheltered in Florida. So it's like there is still the risk that you throw him on the top pair and he For just sure. looks lost. But again, there's the risk with anyone. And 
like I, I, I'm man, I'm super high on Eric Bradstrom, and I it's gonna pain me that he doesn't start the lineup. He might not. Crack, I don't think he will crack this lineup if I'm being honest to start the year. And but he's a guy who can play the right side too. So like my dream scenario would be he shows enough to at least bolt into the top four there and play on the right side. I don't think it's going to happen at least not to start the year for sure, but he's in order to make the right side, he's going to have to really show out because yeah. they've been pretty vocal in not wanting him to play the right side, which I understand the player being more comfortable there may not be the best thing for him long-term. Right. Um, as far as, yeah, as far as Dom's, what Dom said about Josh Brown, I think that's fair. This is also a kid who's played 93 NHL games or something like that, you know, over the course of two years. So, so it'll be a time will tell thing. I think this year is going to be a lot of the senators working out the kinks. I, I saw someone tweet today that it's pretty much a 50 game preseason for them. That's yep. the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're going to see a lot of different line combinations, a lot of different defense pairings, and they're going to try to find out what works. Uh, I think they're self-aware of what is going to happen with to them in this all Canadian division. I mean, these six teams, you know, I don't know if you consider the play in rounds, the playoffs, but these are six teams that were playing for a playoff spot last year. And then the Ottawa senators uh, and a couple of them, you know, one, one a round or two. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a learning year for the Sens. I think you're going to see a lot of different pairings. Will Josh Brown be the Mark Mathot to Shabbat's Eric Carlson? I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But I think it's the best year to find out. And I think the best thing Ottawa can do is give as many chances as they can to guys who earn them uh, and just, you know, throw everything at the wall and see if it sticks. Because next year is going to be when things really count and when the Senators are going to start making a push for – playoff competition so you would hope that's right so that's how i see it yeah well and that's why i've been a huge proponent of not obviously not just put all the young guys in the lineup but try and fit as many fringe young guys as you can in this lineup you know like you want to see what you have for Branstrom this year because next year you need to know if he's going to be a top four at top if he's an nhl defenseman Mm -hmm. it's the same with guys like logan brown like get them playing time this year so you know what they're doing philip schlappick to a lesser degree i think schlappick showed he's an nhl player well he's on a one-year deal right so exactly can he be a third liner instead of a fourth that's the kind of thing they need to figure out this year and yeah I just don't like, obviously if, you know, I, we overreact, I think to roster changes sometimes because, you know, when you see the 13th forward, say Austin Watson subs in for even Logan Brown or someone like that, or Josh Norris, if he makes the team, people are going to lose their mind. Like how can you scratch Josh Norris? Like this is still first year. Like these guys could use a day off. That's okay. But yeah. like, so that's why I'm just, I'm trying this year to approach it with a, a more level head of just like, when I see one thing I don't like, not just freaking out and be like, what, what are they doing? But it's like, okay, like, can I see an actual plan here? Or like, at least is there tangible results, you know, like, because as you said, like, um, it's good to, it's good to have people earn their spot, you know, give it to the people who deserve the chances. If who Josh Brown or whoever outplays the hell out of, or Mike, even Mike Riley, if he outplays the hell out of Eric Branstrom, Eric Branstrom shouldn't be getting that spot then, you know, like, but, and that's just what I kind of want to see it. Just them play around with, see what they got this year because yeah as he said next year they if they're not take a big step next year uh i'd be a little disappointed in where this not where they're going but just you know the overall plan of how, yeah. how it's working out right? and different guys are at different points too right like a guy like logan brown is probably on his last chance this year to really yeah. prove that he belongs and a guy like eric branstrom is going to get some more time so sure. so you, you know you're going to see different things with different players and different guys get different opportunities 
but I think for me, I think for me, I think that's the best way of putting it. Just, you know, see what works, see what doesn't get the kids playing time if they deserve it. You know, if they're playing, you know, fourth line minutes in Belleville, don't necessarily call them up to play second, third line minutes in Ottawa. Right. Um, so that's the kind of the way I look at it. Um, I think more than anything, it's just about learning this year. They're probably going to get caved in a lot of games. They're probably going to get hammered in terms of shot share and in terms of puck possession. Uh, so who knows, have some fun, piss off the Canadians and the Leafs as much as you can and try to win some games here and there, try to play spoiler for some teams and, and just learn how to play together and play as a team and reinforcements will be coming next year. So they're in a good spot, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I actually tweeted on the same thread of the 50 game preseason. I said, the best thing about this year is um, like, unlike last year, you know, this year when they still wins, it's going to be from another Canadian team and you're going to just piss off that fan base and it's going to be awesome. Especially if it's the Leafs or the Canadians, you know, yeah. like, and, and that's why I have no worry, especially with DJ Smith as a coach. I, I'm still not sold on where he is as a coach. I want to obviously see what he does with a better roster. And I don't even think that this year is going to be a fair representation, but um, one of the things I think he did really, really well last year, and I'm not always huge on this, but the team came to play just about every night, you know, and even like after the trade deadline, when even guys like Pajot got traded, they were looking even worse. There was still maybe, I think I could count definitely on two hands, maybe even on one, the nights where it was like, wow, this team doesn't look like they want to be there. Like it was, you know, like their 50th game, they're clearly in like second last. And it's like, they're still taking points off the Tampa Bay lightning. So that, that kind of hustle I I expect to see again this year. And I honestly have full confidence that we will see it again, because that just seems to be the type of team that they got going here, which is a great thing to see. They're going to be a team with some attitude, especially when you get some of those guys like Formington and in the lineup yeah. who are shit disturbers. They're going to be watching those games against the Canadians and against the Leafs are going to be really, really fun. I, that's one of the thing I'm looking forward to about the Canadian division is, is those rivalry games. Those rivalries are just going to get ratcheted up to 100. It's going it's, to be crazy. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited. I, can, I just can't wait for the season to get back. Um, yeah, I think that's probably good. We, we hit a lot of the stuff. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Where can people find your work? Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Uh, anytime you want you want me back on, I'm happy to do it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey underscore. All the writings at Silver7Sends.com. The podcast is called Internal Budget, and there's new episodes every week. So, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I can, it's a great podcast. Uh, take from me. I listen every week or every week I can anyways Appreciate when you know, school, you. school's not so busy. But um, yes, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So go check it out, guys. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me and have a great day. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers. Once again, thank you to Brandon for joining me. I hope you guys all enjoyed that chat. Uh, I really had a great time recording with him. You know, I thought that was one of the best discussions I've had uh, to date on, you know, not just this podca- podcast, but any of them. Um, going forward for this podcast, uh, as the season looks like it's going to get started, um, fingers crossed, what I plan to do for the next couple weeks is a preview for every team and the Canadian division overall. Um, I probably won't do the other divisions because this is a sense-based podcast. If you want that, you can check me out on the M&M Hockey Podcast, my other one with my friend Chase McCallum. Uh, we will be starting to do all the division dives, just the two of us, so if you want my opinions on that, you can go there. But um, starting next week, I am planning on getting guests on to deep dive the other six Canadian teams, and then I'll do another Ottawa one probably as it leads up. Um, so next week I'm starting with Vancouver, and I should have a guest for that. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it, but if there's anyone you want to hear for the other guests, as always, just let me know. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. 
Um, so either of those places work. Um, again, thank you everyone for downloading, for listening, for liking, for sharing, for following. All of that, it means so much. Uh, I hope you all have a great week, and I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.